Beast OCR proudly presents BeastNet Podcast, sponsored in part by GH Under's Performance Base Layers and supported by the OCR community. Here we discuss all things OCR related. Welcome to BeastNet. Hey everybody, this is Adam Bergenheyer with uh, Beast OCR on the BeastNet Podcast today. Uh, we've got a special guest, Mr. Kiel Cha. Um, Kiel Cha has uh, a lot of history um, and has touched on many different things within the Spartan and Endurance community. Um, and man, there's just so much cool stuff that we could talk about. So uh, rather than me blabble on about how cool uh, Kiel is, um, maybe you can tell us yourself. Uh, all right. Well, Adam, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, it's an awesome uh, um, opportunity for me to kind of uh, reach out um, to Beast OCR. Um, love you guys. Absolutely love you guys, especially uh, this past uh, couple of weeks when I was up in Seattle and um, dealing with the rain and everything. Just watching you guys crush the, the, the course and watching your kids crush the course as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, great respect for you, Adam, you know. Um, everybody from Beast OCR that's uh, been able to uh, uh, rock the endurance event that I've been a part of. So, um, but yeah, no, thanks, thanks for having me here. Absolutely, uh, and uh, thanks for the time. <coughs> um, so, quick, uh, quickly yeah. before we kind of get in the weeds, because knowing, knowing you and I, I feel like we could talk about all sorts of things forever. Um, for maybe those that haven't experienced maybe an event of yours before or or who know you or know the legend of, of the orange hat, um, would you mind kind of telling us a little bit about who you are and, and what got you into uh, Spartan and both endurance and OCR sport? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I, I got involved with Spartan in 2011 um, just on a whim. And um, after doing my first race, it, I, I was hooked just because it was uh, far different than anything that I've done in, um, like, what we call regular life. Um, and then fast forward into a couple of years later, and I do a hurricane heat. And the hurricane heat is the closest thing because I've, uh, I've fought fire since 2007 uh, uh, as a wildlife firefighter. Um, started off in Nogales and then worked my way up to a hotshot crew. Um, but, uh, and, and there's a camaraderie and a brotherhood um, uh, in Wildland Fire because of just the absolute, just um, the, the uh, element of danger and um, the, just the, the hard work that you have to put in to be able to, you know, fight fire. Um, it's hard uh, when, you, when you spend six, seven months with these brothers and then you have six, you know, five, six months where you do absolutely nothing and you feel kind of lost. Well, Spartan Endurance um, was kind of uh, that uh, that surrogate family um, from my fire family, and um, and the reason why is because um, you, you find a a a brotherhood in the suck in the adversity, and in that adversity, uh, when everybody is experiencing that same adversity, you just you just find this this like familial feeling because you all know what you're going through. You're all going through the same thing. You're all enduring the same thing. And then when you come out at the end of it, it's almost like a rebirth. And you look around and you've got brothers and sisters now because you look and you know um, if 
if somebody's got a, a Hurricane Heat shirt or a shirt on or a 12 hour shirt on or a patch, you can take a look at that and you know exactly what they went through because you went through it too. And then there's that immediate like intimacy and just that feeling of um, a family. Um, so that's kind of what got me hooked into it. Um, and then I was part of the very first of our hurricane heat. And what most people don't know is that uh, HH12HR001 was actually supposed to be in Dallas and I pre-registered for it, but they didn't have enough uh, participants for it. So they moved it to Las Vegas. And um, uh, I still was registered for that because it was new, it was different. I wanted to be a part of it. And when I was a part of it, I got in there. Tony Matisse was there. Um, a bunch of the people that are that were no that were in Grunge back then are no longer in it now. But uh, Cook was still was there. Rob Barger was there. They, they were all you know potatoes back then, along with Tony and John Ziegler. Um, and it was one of those events where it was absolutely different than anything I'd ever done before. It was challenging me in ways that hadn't been challenged before, and that that type of challenge, that's the stuff that like dumps the adrenaline into your system, and that adrenaline just becomes kind of that uh, that that like natural high that you keep on chasing over and over again because you need that feeling over and over again. Well, that feeling was was what kept me in endurance, and it what it's what sparked that that fire in me to you know go for the uh, elite Spartan because that now. You know, ha- having done HH12 HR001, now it's like, all right, my paradigm has shifted. The level that I thought I was at was far lower than the one I'm actually at. Now I'm seeing, okay, I broke through this perceived limitation. So if my current limitation that I see is is another perceived limitation, how much further can, can I go? And how much higher can I go up? And so it constantly... Uh, it, it motivated me to continually test those limits that I thought I had and come to find out that, you know, these limits that I thought I had in events, they weren't limits. They were just my, my brain just being dumb. Um, but then that trans- transitioned into actual real life and my actual job. And now it's like, okay, well, you know, I didn't think I could hike that far or work that hard or go that long, but I'm doing it. What else am I... What, what am I capable of? What am I truly capable of? So it started really um, having me question uh, my own capabilities. And not in a bad way, but it's like, what am I capable of? Why am I, why am I telling myself I can't do it when I'm continually proving to myself that I can? And, um, and so that was, that's what motivated me to continue with Spartan Endurance, um, especially as a participant. Um, as, a, uh, as a critea, it was a year after I did the very first hurricane while I hurricane heat, that my wife had an opportunity, that then she was my girlfriend, but my wife had an opportunity to do the hurricane heat in, in Las Vegas. And I just on a whim had asked Tony, hey, was wondering if he needed any type of help as a volunteer or something like that. Um, I gave him my credentials as to, hey, this is what I do for, you know, on a hotshot crew, this is, you know, the, the training that I do, uh, this is how I train other people. Um, he took a look at my pedigree, he took a look at my background, he said, all right, you know what? Why don't you come help me out and let me see what you got? And he gave me the shot and an opportunity to just kind of help him uh, at that 12 hour. And um, from there, uh, I was solid enough, at least in my approach, that he asked me to help him again. And 
the ball just started to roll from there. Mm. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, but I'll stop right there. But in case you have another question. Oh no, I'm loving this so far. This is really cool. Kind of uh, hearing how uh, you came into being is, is where we met. So I, I'm loving this. Feel free to go on. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, uh, in 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 that time, and I'm still running the races. Um, the Dallas Beast, which was uh, probably one of the most challenging for me back in 2012, is because. 400 yards after the start, uh, they had a moat. It was about six or seven feet wide, and I was going to jump over it. And my foot slipped, and I ended up compacting my ankle, and I got a grade two sprain, plus I broke my ankle um, 400 yards into the race. But this was supposed to be my very first trifecta race. I had already done a sprint super, and this was my beat. And so it was kind of a... <laughs> it was kind of a... Um, an opportunity for me to see exactly how dumb I was or how motivated I was to see what I can do for this trifecta. And I completed 13 miles of this beast doing 150 burpees uh, for failed obstacles. Um, my doctor, uh, when I got back to him, told me that I am the dumbest smart person he's ever known in his entire <laughs> life. Um, and, <laughs> uh, but and the endurance kind of gave me that that will and that drive and well, I can't really say it gave it to me but it it made it stronger it enhanced that will and that drive um, to, to to set a goal and to see that goal through um, no matter what it was going to happen because uh, my mindset after that you know after any endurance program was you're going to have to absolutely kill me for me to stop and um that, that's pretty much what rolled in my head. And so um, uh, the endurance program that Spartan you know, provided was, was that new mindset, um, was just an enhancement of, okay, you know what? I absolutely think I'm unkillable, and I'm going to make myself unkillable, and it's going to be up to you to prove that I'm wrong, but I'm going to let you know something. I'm not wrong. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how, um, as a participant, that's always been my approach. Now, as a Kakea, um, I started getting a little bit more uh, involved into the program and processing uh, at SoCal uh, for uh, in Temecula. And um, by the time I got to SoCal and Temecula, uh, Cookie and Tony um, were already there. They were going to allow me to assist because I was kind of in a, uh, in a training program um, where they were kind of showing me the ropes and teaching me, you know, how these events are supposed to be run. And that was the day, you know, I, there was quality training and you know, they were comfortable with me, you know, taking portions of the event and just kind of proving to them that I had the ability to do these things. Um, but, uh, and <clears throat> there was a little controversy with um, SoCal. It was supposed to be the very first overnight 12-hour uh, uh, hurricane heat because most of them had been during the day. Uh, this was the very first overnight 12-hour hurricane heat in the, on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, there was... Um, uh, there, there were there were issues with the participants. Uh, Tony was getting tired of uh, some of the regular format. He was telling us that the standard format was too easy, so now he had to shake it up. And the way that he was going to shake it, shake it up was to increase the um, uh, he was, was going to increase the, a couple of other components regarding the event. 
and it was going to be up to us to make sure that we followed through these components. And the component that I had was the um, exercise program as well as um, being being the guy that was basically going to um, what Matt and Diggle call the kill hat, or the guy that's basically going to just smoke you. And that was my position. Um, and I think a lot of that was because Tony and Bikini, uh, they both had a lot of friends in SoCal, and I was still a relative, you know, fresh face, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I kind of fit into that. Yeah, I kind of fit into that position, and that was that was hard for me um, because when it comes to it, my my personality is, and I'm not, and and as we go further into you know as we go on into the the history and start to go forward in the future. That's never been what I'm comfortable with doing. I've never been comfortable with with making people fail. I've always been more comfortable with um, trying to uh, to assist them to find success. Which yeah. So being the kill hat just kind of went against my type. Um, it doesn't mean I can't do it. Uh, I can. I'm really good at it, but it doesn't mean I like it and it's not that performance. Yes. Yeah. That can be a hard role. Um, there's a there's a fine line of balance, right? When you're in that position where, you know, how much is enough? Um, you know, we, you know, when we sign up for that kind of stuff, you know, I've I've DNF'd a few, <laughs> so, you know, what what is the balance? Um, is is enough enough? Well, you know, is it a percentage? Is it a, you know, is it a certain you know mental grit that we seek to gain uh, there's a, there's so many different aspects in it and I, I can totally totally relate to that that's a position that you know not not with Spartan but in other areas that I've been in in a minor role of and that that was a difficult piece for me um, to totally kind of work against the grain of, of what my national natural inclination is to do is to is to help people wherever they're at get to where they want to go you know and sometimes that's in tough love right but I, I can I can understand that, <laughs> and I, I appreciate the talents that you bring because that's uh that's not easy. Yeah, no, no, and, and no, I agree. I absolutely agree. It, it really is it's a difficult position to be in, um, generally because you see people that have you know poured their heart and soul, and they've put their training to the test, and they're putting their will and their heart to the test, mm-hmm. and you know in hour seven, hour eight, you've got to. You literally have to kill their soul um, because something happened, and that's not something that I like to see. Um, but with that being said, um, as we started to continue, and I started to uh, get more learning and more training into the 12 hours, I began to do see um, not what I wanted to do. Um, I began to, to kind of formulate how I would approach these events because um, I would get the plans from Tony or the plans from Cookie and I would look at it and then we would go and execute these plans and I would put in a mental note okay well just for me personally I would do this differently I would do that differently if, it was, if I had an event this is how I would do this or this is how I would do that um, so always trying to uh, uh, um, innovate and because um, inventing is the, the, the most difficult portion of, um, of creating the invention uh, innovation is is easier because the groundwork is already been set, um, and then you have uh, imitation. You know, I mean, because you can imitate what somebody else is doing, just don't really have to think about it. Just make a couple of tweaks, but 
um, and then you know, and then from there, it it it, it, uh, it invents, imitate, and innovate, and then innovate allows you to make those adjustments to an already established set. Um, so already, you know, Tony and Cookie gave me the, this established set of, of the structure of the twelve hour, and then what I wanted to do, and what I feel like I've been really successful in doing is being able to implement. Um, uh, what uh, the, the things that, that I felt um, would resonate uh, are greater than just you know trying to smoke somebody out doing 300 burpees or or trying to you know just trying to level up a playing field you know by um, uh, by by having only a certain amount of uh, passes to the next level you know and that's kind of how some of the the 12 hours were was that you know there was a almost a hard line 40 percent that needed to pass. And so, you know, in hour nine, you would have a time hack where, you know, um, if you started with 100 people, then only 40, like, you know, um, uh, coupons or 40 tennis balls or something would be available. Uh, and that would mean basically only 40 people would go on to the next round, while the other 60% were gone. So it was basically kind of a survival of the fittest or whoever can get to that the fastest. And what I wanted to do, and that was, that was great because that really forced people to motivate themselves to really exert effort and to really get after it and that's that's absolutely awesome and I never had a problem with that but I always felt that um, it was almost a a them versus me if I did that and I didn't want a I didn't want an adversarial relationship with um, uh, the uh, the participants it wasn't really them versus me or them versus my program uh, my approach was basically what I wanted them to do was to be responsible for their own behaviors and responsible for their own actions. Because you and I both know that in endurance events, there will be people who will find shortcuts or yeah. um, or or you know cheat cheats, or they'll find ways to make things easier or lighter, or they'll just outright cheat. Yep. Um, I've seen. And it. so, what I wanted to do, yeah, in, in the events that I had, was to to say, okay, you know what, you're more than welcome to try and limit. I mean, you know, shortcut it. You want to cheat. You want to, you know, make things easier for yourself. That's fine, but that's going to cost you, and your behaviors um, are going to absolutely dictate whether or not you're going to be able to survive to the end. Not my program, not what was thrown at you, but your own choices and decisions are going to make the decision as to whether or not you're going to finish. And um, I thought that kind of. Uh, mirrored real life more than just a regular endurance event did where you're just going to grind out, you know, X amount of hours doing God knows what for God knows how long, you know, for God knows what reason. Um, at least with mine that there was an absolute, at the very end, you know, as things were beginning to be explained or, you know, a lot of the, the, the people that can, you know, that, that are, I mean, while endurance, uh, endurance peeps are smart, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, they have a lot of common sense. They're smart. They're crafty. So by the end of the event, most of the people already understand the lessons that I'm trying to convey to them. You know, and these these are things that they can that that not only it's not something that you just can drop at the end of the event, but you can take these these lessons with you and apply them to you know regular life, or apply them to challenges that you're going to find outside of the parameters of the event. And 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 if I can do that. You know what I mean? If I can make that kind of effect on somebody's life or, or help them make that effect on their own life, then I feel that, that I've done um, I've done what I'm, I'm, I'm here to do, and that is to you know, help people grow beyond what they 
feel is their own limitation. Uh, uh, and like a couple of like the, the things that I do is, and I know that you guys have seen this, and most people that that know who I am have seen me say this, is that if I do my events right, if I do it properly, the way that I'm supposed to, um, then what it's going to do is it's going to be you looking out at the calm surface of an ocean, you're standing at the beach, and you're looking at the calm surface of the ocean. And but what you don't see under the calm surface of the ocean is the fight, the currents, and the absolute battles that are going on. You know, if I do my job right, you don't see those battles. You don't see any shifts. You don't see any changes. You don't see any adjustments. All you see is one fluid event, mm-hmm. and it just melts, and you have no idea that I just had to furiously paddle to to make sure that you know <laughs> point D now is point B. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember witnessing during the twenty four. Um, last year the the orange hat coming off and i remember going we messed up as a team and things are getting adjusted and oh by the way we're gonna pay for this and i think that was the first time i really i mean we'd kind of run into each other you know a little bit beforehand and i think that was my first cool event really but uh with you and a few others um but at that point that's i think that's the first time i physically witnessed an, an event potentially being adjusted um, or recorrected, <laughs> redirected um, in the moment, and that—that's probably one of my my biggest oh crap moments that we had, or, or for me seeing seeing the orange hat come off. Um, I know there's a lot of work that goes into it in the background to keep things seamless, right? You got multiple checkpoints, you have time variances. Um, even if you have a crew of you know five, six, seven, eight guys working a 12 hour hurricane heat you know whatever um there's a lot that goes on in the background that sometimes gets taken for granted and that's a lot of work yeah no um yeah and the 24 was um because i just done the 12 hour hurricane heat before i jumped yep. back in to yep. help uh took it with the 24 and i just put those guys through a 1.72 mile ab wheel bear crawl um and it was a really nasty 12-hour event there, and you know it was. And then oh, yeah. um, my portion was to give you guys an opportunity to do man nav, uh, uh, because something that could be wanted to do was to really um, not just provide just an event, but we wanted to be able to provide a learning experience as well. And maybe, you know, and we wanted to kind of give you guys an opportunity to have, you know, a basic skill that you could take and apply, you know, when you go hiking or, you know, when you're outside of uh, the urban limit. And that's kind of where land nav and being able to taste out your distances, you know, came into fruition. Um, the, the hat came off uh, simply because I'm looking at you guys having to walk 200 yards and somehow you guys managed to be within 200 yards of a linear distance. You guys managed to be 400 yards off um, <laughs> laterally. And I was trying to figure out how you guys were able to do that. <laughs> and I, I looked at BJ, I'm like, they, they have to be messing with you. This has to be intentional. There's absolutely no way you can be that far off. You can be twice the distance off laterally on, on accident. This has to be done on purpose. And he's just laughing at me. <laughs> like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, I'm like, well, there's really nothing I can do except to let them flounder about and if they don't get that time hack then they're done we have to escalate matters 
and that's uh, I believe that's when you guys ran into the um, the de- deconstructed burpee. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was a good time. <laughs> yeah. But um, um, the, the escalation um, is something that I brought with Spartan, brought to Spartan during, and the reason why um, the escalation uh, uh, were uh, came into fruition was because. Um, there has to be um, there, there has to be motivation, and exactly. sometimes it takes uh, negative motivation to uh, get people to um, to respond in the manner that they're supposed to respond. Sometimes, most of the times, you can have positive motivation and positive reinforcement, and they'll respond um, in, in the manner that they're supposed to respond. But sometimes, if you know, some people refuse to. Um, to do what they're, you know, they're instructed, or else they, you know, intentionally go about an, an event, or they're, you know, they're just refusing to act as a team, or they're just, you know, some something's going on. They're just not situationally aware. And then um, the the escalations are there to kind of remind them that no, this this can always be worse, and this is an absolute. Um, this is an, this, this is an absolute. Uh, not so much a punishment, but this is a causality of your decision. You decided yeah. to do this. This is the effect. Um, and I felt, and if you know, and you know as well as I do, or maybe, you know, well, I'll explain it, is that I don't just have people do these escalations and just have them do them forever in a day. Um, there has to be a reason and an objective behind even an escalation, at least in my estimation. Yeah. Um, and so while you guys are doing this, I'm explaining to you guys why this is, this has occurred, you know, and at least that gives you guys an opportunity to understand, hey, this is the reason why it's happening. It's not just because he doesn't like us or he's just angry, but this is the reason why it's happening. And that way it gives the entire class or the one person or two people an opportunity to correct those decisions. And so further on down the road, you know, when I begin to see the class or the per- people um, begin to... Um, Act more as a cohesive unit, or to make the right decision. And there was always that de-escalation, which I've always, you know, let you guys. But there's always a de-escalation. So now we're going to de-escalate this event. We're going to go back to the original event because you guys have actually learned, you know, the lessons that you had to learn at this point in time. Exactly. More than fair, I think. Yeah, well, I, and and yeah, and that's again um, with with the endurance event, you know, particularly with any of the Spartans uh, endurance events that I was part of. Um, again, my approach has always been there. I, I'm, I always have an objective. There's always something that I'm trying to teach, or there's always something that I'm trying to information I'm trying to convey to the class. Uh, there's been no arbitrary uh, decisions. Nothing is done on a whim. I don't allow things to get done on a whim or things to get done just because you know somebody wants to get it done. No, there always has to be a reason behind why we're doing something, and I believe because. We, you know, we have a reason and an objective that it gives a little bit more um, legitimacy to uh, to the exertion, and it gives a little bit more um, a weight and meaning behind all of the pain and suffering that people go through to finish these events. That way, at the end, like I keep on saying, that shirt, that dog tag, that pack—that's got to mean something. Your 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 exertion, your blood, your sweat, your tears, your determination. All of that has to mean something, mm. um, and and in the end, I believe that having a program that has an objective uh, allows the participants 
to actually have a meaning behind everything that they've gone through. You know, I'm I'm super happy you said that, um, and that really resonates with me. Um, and let me and you know let me do the thing that a lot of people that have participated in these kind of events do, and, and share how it impacted me. Is you know I think I, I'm a firm believer in what Heraclitus said, and that change is the only constant. But the reasons that we have. At, at the times that we, we remember those, right? We remember our motivations. And, and as we move through and evolve in events, um, I believe that, you know, we, we have that, that paradigm shift, that focus change where, um, you know, whatever we have going on, uh, whatever's, you know, not just front of mind, but what's deeply troubling us, motivating us, you know, getting us to that spot, that, that really comes out. And that your, your why kind of shifts into what's your real reason why um you know so there is there is one event that i participated in and you know i i failed you know i dnf'd um uh in the 24 actually and it it crushed me that i knew i was you know approaching base camp and i was going to walk into a situation where i was told I was going to be told thank you for showing up, and and I was crushed. And there was a guy that came back, a, a good friend actually, and you know I, I was carrying two sandbags back and told you know I'm so sorry. Can I take that burden off of you while you go back to base camp? And it was an amazing courtesy, but I just remember getting angry, and and not not necessarily at him, but at the concept of somebody bringing in my bags to base camp and that to me i mean and it sounds so small right and it wasn't like i was that far from camp right maybe a few hundred meters but that was kind of that pivotal change in my in my rudder that adjusted my ship's course to where i am now um that i needed i didn't know i needed and that little moment that little interaction completely changed and there's there's a bunch of those but you know, it's it's what you said. That's when the reason and the why came into existence, um, and really completely changed um, how I tackled the rest of it. Sorry, I didn't mean to deviate too much. No, 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 absolutely no. And and I'll um, let me let me further on what you're saying um, is that because um, I've done a lot of reading from the, the Stephen Covey who I absolutely love, uh, Franklin Covey Foundation, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Eight Habits, Nine Habits. Um, but that's what uh, is considered, at least I call, a trim tab moment. And um, anybody in Bodhi knows that there's a thing called a trim tab. And the trim tab um, is a small rudder that moves the large rudder that moves the ship. Mm. Um, and so the small moments in life that you think are inconsequential, but it's those small moments that make the largest difference in your in your in your life in your existence. You know what I mean? Um, and that is what I would consider to be a trip tap moment because it seems small and inconsequential, but the effect of that is absolutely huge because it absolutely altered everything else around you, and the, it absolutely altered you as a person. The trim tap is that how we said it? Yep, trim tab. The, the trim tab. I want to remember that. 
Trim tab. There you go. Trim tab. I got it. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know, that makes sense. And I'd love to read up more on that. Maybe we can talk afterwards. I'd love to follow up on some of that reading. Um, I Yes, that's exactly it. Um, you know, <laughs> it's funny you say that. There's, there's a few people that kind of knew me at the time, um, some friends, even, even one of my brothers. You know, we were talking maybe four months ago, and they said, well, <laughs> one of them particularly said, I don't know what the hell you're doing that night. But something changed that night, and uh, you're you're a different guy. And uh, <laughs> I agree. I, I I completely believe that the trim tab, the trim tab. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's it. Um, I read about it, and it made um, uh, perfect sense to me when I read about it. And then, as I was starting to to just kind of be a little bit more aware of my surroundings and aware of other things and aware of more more self-awareness I began to see that there are these small moments in life that again like I said it's just these small moments seem so inconsequential at the time but when you take a look back at these small moments these are the small moments that pushed you know these are the small rudders that pushed the large rudder that pushed your life into a different direction you know or a different perspective and that's kind of uh, you know that's so you never have you, you can never discount those small inconsequential moments because they, they truly are not inconsequential, you know, and there's nothing really inconsequential when it comes to the experiences that we have, and um, that's one of the reasons why uh, I've always loved endurance is because uh, endurance events, for however long you have them, they're always filled with these small moments, you know, and and everybody has these small moments that they experience, man, it could be just one, it could be just two, it could be a whole bunch in, you know, four, six, 12, 18 hours, you know, duration, but there's always these small moments that at the time it didn't seem to mean much, but when you go back into reflection, you know, as you're eating all of the food, uh, because <laughs> you're absolutely depleted, <laughs> oh, yeah. so you're eating all the food, and now, you're, yeah, you're beginning to think about things, and you're beginning to see, like, if you reflect, you'll start to see that the changes that you've made in your life are not these huge sweeping declaration proclamation changes it's just these small experiences and the small things that have happened that have just altered your perception and that's that's what I've always tried to really wanted to focus on and it's the stuff that I you know it's the stuff that I get gassed about when I see just that light in somebody's eye go thing you know yeah I gotta ask then um you know and don't you don't need to name any names or say anything crazy um but is there maybe a moment where you witnessed something like that in somebody that maybe not necessarily caught you off guard, but that trim, that trim tab moment where you saw that light go on, that that sparkle hit somebody, and um, I don't know. Is, is there a moment that you can reference that maybe caught, caught you, maybe unsuspecting or surprised you, or you know was just really genuine and authentic that you can maybe tell us about? Um, yeah, actually, you know what? Actually, uh, there's two, and it was in the same event. Well, there's, I, I can't say that there's a lot of them, but two of them come to mind immediately. Um, without me having to, like, further on trying to open the dusty bolts of my old brain. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Las, <laughs> yeah, uh, the Las Vegas 12-hour, where uh, they were doing the Sisyphus and the pushes and the pavers. Um, oh, yeah. 
Yara, I don't, I'll call it by name, but Yara Harris, Yara, Yara, Yara. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. She, everybody knows who she is. You know, she's everywhere. But um, she had was passing by and looked at me. She goes, "I've never carried this much weight before." And I looked at her and I go, "Then every step you're taking right now is a PR." And a light went on. And from that point forward, she was absolutely unstoppable um, in the event because it was something that she'd never thought before, you know? But as she was, you know, maybe, you know, as she was kind of lamenting the fact that this is so much weight, I've never carried it before, and she's got this mindset, and it's kind of a self-defeating mindset when you're like, I've never done this before, I don't think I can, you know, and, and, you're, and you're just kind of like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, and then you change, you just alter that perception. You know, I've never carried this much weight before. It's like, well, every step you're doing is a PR then. You're PRing every step from this point forward, mm. and suddenly, suddenly now, now what's happened from the Las Vegas 12 hour? What has she done now? You know what I mean? And all the stuff that she's accomplished, and it it, it started from that point. She's um, amazing. And the second point, yeah, and the second point is that she actually motivated another participant who was pushing that paver up the hill. Um, and the participant looked at me and she goes. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I, I'm I'm not one to talk somebody out of it. I'm just going to make sure that they want, this is the decision that they make. Um, if if they can't find the motivation in themselves, then uh, anything that I say is not going to resonate with them. I just want to make sure that they're, you know, okay with the decisions. And that's usually what I say is, you know, are you okay with the decisions? Is this really what you want? And you can hear Yara right next to her going, get your ass on this hill. You're not quitting. Let's go. And the girl just kind of had a pause. And she's like, well, I can do this, then. I can do this. And I'm like, are you sure? She goes, yes. And she was able to finish. And it was just, it was just that small shift, I guess, that, that I was able to see. Um, but that small shift uh, in these two people's lives, as I've been following them on social media and seeing exactly what they've been accomplishing, that's, that's made a huge, uh, at least I like to think, um, it's made these, these, this huge difference in their life, just just these small moments, you know, and, and at the event. And that's what jazzes me, is just being able to see these people, you know, make these drives now, you know, when I've seen them at their absolute lowest, and suddenly they're, you know, on high, uh, you know, uh, on the apex of the mountain, you know, the peak of the mountain now. That's amazing. It's a, it's a great feeling. Um, you know, somebody said that, you know, the, the biggest gift that you can give to somebody, and, and I'm going to have to find who actually, I, I've, I've read it not too long ago, but the greatest gift that you can give anybody is is a bit of your own wisdom and a bit of your own time. And seeing somebody light up when you, you know, not you, you, you didn't just give them the tools, but you, you pointed them in the direction of self-discovery. And then something like, that interaction where you said every step you take is a PR is a complete perspective shift uh, to move away from that almost self-harming attitude where you're, you're prepping yourself and allowing yourself to fail, to build yourself that back door um, out of whatever it is, right? Um, <laughs> I've done that. I've been there. Um, but man, what a cool experience and what a cool feeling. I bet it it felt like Christmas seeing 
uh, those lights go off and just seeing that fierce determination uh, come out. Uh, you know, I've done a few events with Yara, and uh, Yara, love you, girl. <laughs> and that's that's amazing. And and I completely believe that you know if if nothing else, it's those little moments in life where that's humanity in its purest form is when we're struggling, we're in that moment of suffrage, and we give each other not necessarily the gift of let me do it for you, but showing somebody on the path of self-discovery you know really you know the teach to manage to to fish uh ideology right and that's what happened there and i think those tiny moments um those trim tabs uh are the uh those are the 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 treasures and the jewels that we all look for right yeah no definitely and um and all of this and i and i'll tell you this and i've said this before and a a lot of people don't seem to understand it or they don't want to understand it they think it's more complicated than it has to be but if, if anything else what I've learned um, in my absolute years of fighting the horrific fires um, in the forest is that and doing almost impossible tasks and, and, and being able to accomplish them is the simple fact is that the way that you find success in these events is acceptance um, and what I mean by acceptance is that you accept the reality of what's happening in your presence. And what that means is that you're not agreeing to it, you're not condoning it, all you're doing is you're accepting the reality that this is what's happening now. And what that does is it takes your brain away from complaining about it, arguing about it, and denying the existence and reality of it, and it shifts the brain into saying, okay, this is what's happening, we have to endure it, how best do we get this done and how can we find success? So instead of your brain looking for excuses and outs and making things three times, five times, a hundred times harder than it has to be, your brain is now working for you to find solutions and answers and best practices on how to overcome whatever adversity that you're facing. Um, this is something that we've looked at fire because you know what, I can tell you right now that there have been seven, 10, 15 mile hikes that I've had to go into to fight a fire, knowing that I'm gonna be on that fire line for 14 days and then come back out. And I can tell you right now that, you know, putting 16 hours a day in, you know, 14 miles in just to fight fires and 16 hours a day, 14 days, come back out and then get re, get re up another seven days. Um, that ends up being what you might consider an impossible task and it gives you a lot of opportunities to say, I don't want to do this and it gives you a lot of opportunities for your brain to say, I'm going to quit. But as long as you accept the fact that, hey, this is what the actual reality is, so there's no getting around it, then it, it, it forces your brain to go from, I don't want to do this or I could be doing this or I could be doing that instead of this. It takes that away and it forces your brain to go, oh, okay, this is what we have to deal with. How can I how can I overcome it? How can I achieve success um, despite this adversity or because of the adversity? And so it's just those those mental shifts. So if you're looking at trying to, to find success and you've never done a, uh, an endurance event, event before and you're looking to find success, the first thing is just to accept the reality of whatever has has been you've been instructed to do. Just accept the fact that that's your reality and it allows your brain to work for you instead of against you. That's amazing advice. Um, let's let that simmer for a minute and take a quick break. Um, 
That's good. That's good stuff. Grays Harbor Unders makes the performance-based layer clothing you want and need. Whether you work, hunt, hike, fish, run, or ride in the great outdoors, if you work up a sweat, Grays Harbor Unders are for you because their unique dual-layer fabric removes moisture from your body and keeps your skin dry, even when the outer layer is completely wet. It's a base layer like no other. Get you some at ghunders.com. That's ghunders.com for the best performance-based layer you'll ever wear. All right. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Um, welcome back, Mr. Kuhl. Thank you so much. Um, wow. This has been really cool so far. Um, I definitely don't think we can cover everything in one session. <laughs> uh, there, there is one thing that I would love to talk about and, and hear from you specifically. Um, so you talked a little bit about some of the the atrocious firefighting that um, you've experienced and, and done personally for, for many years. So my, my question to you is somehow that evolved into a firefighter fit. Um, what, what happened? What was that? How did that evolve? And, and uh, what, what is fire fit, firefighter fit now? Um. Uh, th- no, I, absolutely. That's a great question, um, and, get, and thanks for the opportunity to actually let me, you know, for for giving giving me the platform to talk about firefighters. Uh, so course. what what happened was um, being on a hospital crew, uh, you 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 just you do the work and then you go home. What a lot of people don't seem to understand, what us hotshots never understood, was that nobody knows what we do. Um, and for the general public, all you see are the hotshot buggies or the vehicles roll up. You see a bunch of just hard-hitting-looking guys, you know, and well, men and women jump out of the back of the buggy, grab their gear, they hike into a forest fire. You see all nothing but smoke, and then you know, 14, 21, 30 days later, the smoke is gone, and they're coming back out looking like they just went through hell. Um, but what you don't, what most of the general public never understood was um, what the job entails, the stuff that you know we do, and yeah the training that we have to go through to get these jobs done. Um, and so Firefighter Fit Endurance was based off of uh, trying to bridge the gap of understanding between firefighters and the general public and giving the general public an opportunity to really uh, experience what hotshots do. Just basically a day in the life of a hotshot. And we put, uh, with the training that we have to go through, the level of fitness that we have to be at, and then the job that we, uh, the job and the uh, um and how we apply that job. Um, and so that's where Firefighter Fit Endurance uh, really does, is that we, um, we give we give the general public and everybody else um, an opportunity to go through our training. So the training that uh, the federal government puts us through. Um, and then they go through that training for, you know, X amount of hours, and then they have to go through uh, the physical, the PT test that is our standard PT test. And then we're going to put them through um, pretty much a crash course in uh, an operational shift, one of our operational shifts. And that's cutting line, you know, um, spinning weather, uh, the, the hiking, the teamwork, and uh, just trying to give them a very realistic idea of where their fitness kind of 
um, where their fitness is as compared to a hotshot fitness, you know. And um, uh, it's and along with that is uh, there's an authenticity to it because um, the company, uh, my company, which is the Ronin Systems the Training and Performance, is the, the parent company, and Firefighter Fit Endurance is our endurance com- uh, our, our endurance branch where we teach, you know, uh, hot shops, first responders, search and rescue. Uh, we teach um, uh, leadership, we teach teamwork uh, modules, but um, all of the firefighter fit endurance advisors and staff, they're all hot shots or wildman firefighters. Uh, most of them are still active duty firefighters and hot shots. Um, I can tell you that they are because the last event that we had in February, which was our critical training, we lost three of our advisors the day before our event because they got called to a fire. Wow. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, it was, and it's, it's, it really did put kind of um, a cramp into the event, but I was actually able to call a couple of my, uh, a couple of other fire brothers to come in and uh, substitute uh, to make sure that we had enough staff. But yeah, that's kind of, uh, it's a, it's, that's kind of the dangers of actually having people who, who still do the job. Oh, absolutely. You know? um, but how authentic yeah, but, it feels uh, that. Uh, oh, gosh, I need to get down there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, And we'd love to have anybody in Beast OCR come down. Um, the proceeds that we get that are beyond our operational cost, uh, all of the proceeds get donated to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. And that's a nonprofit organization that's based in Idaho, I believe it's in Boise, and they're the only um, uh, charitable nonprofit organization that um, uh, financially helps uh, the families of injured and fallen wildland firefighters. So it's it's a situation that's really near and dear to every every you know hotshot's heart is the Wildland Firefighter Foundation because they've looked after our families you know for as long as they've been in business. So anything we can do to help them and provide assistance for them is pretty much what we're going to try and do. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, the biggest, and I'll tell you the biggest difference between what we do with initial attack, critical training, lightning module, which are our events, um, the biggest difference between what we have on our events and what you might have seen me do at Spartan Endurance, um, or any other endurance event is that, um, we're, we're trying to build the success. We're not trying to build the fail. So we're not working towards getting people to fit or trying to cut people. And that's kind of how most events are, is that you you build this program to try and, and get the fail out of somebody. Yeah. Um, or to get enough fails. And, and that's, and it's not, it's not, I'm not saying it's wrong, it's just how the process goes. Um, because the fear, the fear of that failure uh, generally tends to be the biggest motivator for people to really push themselves and exert themselves. And that's awesome. Um, but what we wanted to do was to uh, really based our events on what we actually go through doing our critical training and our training and uh, the way that we approach our job and that is to find the success and to build towards that success and it's hard to explain what I mean but anybody who's ever done a firefighter fit endurance event tell you that there is an absolute difference between the approaches and how the events are run and led um, and that uh, Everybody that has been a participant can tell you that it is an absolute deal with family from beginning to end. And that's something that you don't really get in 
uh, some of the other endurance events out there, you know. And the reason why you don't get it is because you have that fail that 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 uh, the event planners are driving you towards, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, they say, you know, in all organizations, in all events, in all challenges, that the culture, um, the experience really comes from the top down. You know, so the people that are planning it, the people that are working the vision, ultimately affect the, the, the feeling that people have when they, you know, go to sleep afterwards, right? The experience they have, the stories they tell. Um <coughs> I'm excited about that. I, I absolutely am. I have been... I'm committed, but uh, let's just say that there's a there's a young lady who is listening right now who might murder me slightly if we don't get down there in some capacity to either the lightning or the criticals this year. Because uh, <laughs> that, that, that kind of event really speaks to... Uh, she's looking at me all crazy like... You know, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff really excites me is knowing that we're going to go into this and the goal is to to do this together as a unit and we're going to succeed and that excitement of the journey it, it almost feels like one of those you know choose your own adventure time stories where all right guys we're here now let's figure it out what do we got to do what do we got to learn and let's be real and vulnerable with each other and, and let's let's make it happen um it's almost like that that hero you know buddy hero journey you know like all those you know popular movies where you know you get five ten people out and they go on a quest and they have to go do something um it really reminds me of that that kind of ideology where there's there's a something to be learned there there's a perspective change and you know maybe even something that'll change your life but you have to be willing to yeah. go in and, and be vulnerable and work together. Uh, yeah, and, and the thing is, um, again, this is something that uh, a lot of the general public go, they, they don't understand and with um, hot shots and wildlife firefighters is that when you're on the crew, here's the thing. When I have a crewmate, and I need to trust everybody on that crew with my life because mm-hmm. everybody on that crew trusts me with theirs. Now, I can't have I can't be pushing to have to, to try and fail somebody on the crew because that is absolutely goes against everything that we stand for regarding I have to put my life in your hands, so I'm going to make you fail. That doesn't make any sense. It's I have to put my life in your hands, so I'm going to do everything I possibly can do to make you successful because your success ensures my safety, and my success ensures your safety. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's how the approach is on the fire line. And so, because that is our approach on the fire line, that is our absolute approach in the event, is, you know, um, you have to be able to trust the person next to you just as much as they have to trust you. And if you guys are in competition with each other to try and fail or to make the other person quote-unquote lose, then there is no brotherhood, there is no trust. Um, it doesn't mean that the event is easy. By, by, mean, by, by no means whatsoever, it's not going to be easy. Um, it's never been easy, but it, like it, 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 but it's meaningful. You know, it's doable. Um, at no point in time are any of the advisors going to pull you from the event unless you're being a total jerk and you know threatening somebody. Other than <laughs> that, we're not going to pull you from the event unless it's yeah, unless it's a medical 
issue, you know, and we have to pull you for your own safety. But we're not trying to be to you. We're not trying to be an nephew. Um, it's all your decision. But we're there not to tell you what to do, but we're there to kind of give you guidance. And that's the reason why I don't call them staff. I don't call them Criteo. I don't call them cadre. I call them advisors. Because all we're doing is we're just there to advise you. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful perspective. I think we can learn a lot from that. Not just from the experiences that hotshots go through, but the mentality that you have on the advisory versus a capitalized role. Um, that's a really healthy attitude um, that I think we can apply in life. That's phenomenal. Great job, Kyle. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 it's something that just, that's, there's a fire in me, and and anybody that's done any of my events, they, they can tell you that, and, you know, they can see the approach that I take, um, and that approach has always been, it's always been because of who I am as, as a hotshot and what I've done, you know, and the, the community I've been a part of, and that goes into the events because that, that's kind of the objective that I've always been trying to convey. And, and well, and it's always been the blessings I've always been trying to convey and the objectives that I've always had to reach. And um, uh, again, we go back to uh, a purposeful movement, you know, um, meaningful activity, and that kind of, you know, yeah. Um, but with that being said, uh, the, the the newest, greatest, new, the big thing is we had a, I had a business meeting uh, in the Los Angeles press. Um, I and, heard uh, about this. Two other people. Yeah, um, with uh, Hannibal Smith, Dan Hark from No Expectations PT, NXPT, and um, Nathan Lee and Dan Flossman from Synergy or Synergy OCR. Um, and we have, um, we're basically in second stage of developing a Triple Crown program with three different elements. That's going to be an event. It's uh, going to be in SoCal, in Southern California in late July. And um, uh, registration should actually be up within the next week. And it is far different than pretty much anything anybody's doing right now. But it's going to give you three very different experiences in one event. Um, and uh, I'm very excited to see the elements that NFPT and the OCR bring. And the only reason why I didn't reach out to Beast OCR on this was because of location. That's it. Uh, oh, no worries. Um, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And what a host of not just incredible athletes, but, you know, leaders in the community that, you know, from, you know, only only having, you know, minor interactions with them, some of them at most um, strike me as people that, really care and they want to see people succeed um and you know push them to grow too so that wow the triple crown let us know we want to make sure that um we're we're supporting you with that that's pretty cool so when that when the when the restoration does come down um where, where can people find the triple crown where can they find um the criticals on firefighter fit uh, where can they get connected to you and uh, these events? Uh, well, um, with uh, Lightning Module Initial Attack and Critical Training, which are three separate events, um, you can go to um, 
the uh, uh, our Facebook page, which is uh, Firefighter Fit and Done, and currently um, our website is down, but it, uh, our website is also firefighterfitandturn.com, and the event will be there uh, as well. Um, with the Triple Crown, there's actually going to be an, um, a separate page uh, dedicated to that and a, a separate group um, on social media as well as Instagram. So it'll, it'll be um, it'll be live, like I said, in the next week or so, and you'll be able to see it. Just it'll be Triple Crown Challenge. Um, and then I'll be able to share the links with you guys. Absolutely, um, we'd yes, love please. to have you guys in all of the uh, just to kind of let you know regarding the initial attack and critical training. Um, is that these are 24 to 36 hour events, and please don't let the time limit scare you. It's just initial attack for firefighters can last up to 36 hours. Um, uh, critical training is a little shorter but it's still critical. It's called critical training for a reason. Yeah. And um, one of the things that we do with critical training, which is a little different than other potentials, that we actually get to certify in something. Um, this last critical training, we got people uh, first aid, AED, CPR certified, and an actual certification that you can take, um, uh, take with you. Uh, so if you have a job that requires a you know, first aid, CPR, AED, well, if you went to critical training, you now have that certification. Um, and awesome. so it, uh, we just didn't want to give you, uh, we didn't want to give just a pass and a shirt. We wanted to actually give something that you could actually take with you, you know, in, in your walk around life. Um, and then um, Lightning Module is our short program, but it's not going to be easy. It's about 14 hours. Um, so that's what we consider short programs. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So there's no nap time, right? Um, for lightning mod, no, you, you, I, you might get a couple opportunities to actually breathe, but other than that, no. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's based off of, uh, <laughs> it's based off of some of our fastest response modules, um, uh, in wildland fire. And so the entire event is based off of that. Uh, um, and uh, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a hundred percent constant go. That's amazing. I can't wait to see more of it. Um, let me, if it's okay with you, I know we've gone a little bit over time. I've got one more thing I'd love to hear uh, your perspective on, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so, man, there's just so much cool stuff that we could talk about, and there's so many cool things that I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Um, I think I'd love to hear... And, and there's especially a lot of people, a lot of beasts too, that got to interact with you or see some of the, the mind of Kuehl lately here in Seattle with the kids race that was up here. Um, so uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more um, about you know what got you into Spartan Kids and kind of your vision and, and thoughts on you know what, what do you see as being a successful Spartan Kids event? What do you, what do you want those kids to take home? Because uh, it's definitely, you know, from what we saw, a completely different kids' race experience. And the kids noticed, too. And, you know, there were maybe some points where some kids were like, man, this is tough. But I don't know if I've ever seen kids walk away from a kids' race before. Um, gosh, what's that term? Stupid happy, right? <laughs> when you're just delirious with pride yeah. and excitement. <laughs> um, it was surreal, the smiles 
that I saw on kids' faces. I also saw a lot of sleeping kids afterwards. But um, <laughs> so what? What? What, what brought us there? <laughs> um. Well, I got in last year. Uh, I started working kids' face last year, mm-hmm. um, about the middle of the year, and it was just on a lark because um, the kids' program has always been really open and receptive to the endurance program. Every time we've intersected with kids. I've been doing endurance, you know, Justin Ross, who's the director, has always been super cool about it. He's always allowed us to use the kids' course, you know, we need to do kids' course and stuff, so it's always been, you know, a, a good working relationship, and I like him. Um, I just happened to hear that, uh, you know, he was in need of some help, and I was open uh, that weekend, so I shot him, you know, saying, hey, look, person needs some help, you know, I'd be more than happy to, you know, do whatever I can to, you know, to, to just kind of be a part of it. And... I came in, started working the races, and it was just, there is a pure, a pureness in the, the, the determination of the kids that raced, uh, the, the, the kid races that, um, that's been lacking, or that I've seen has been lacking with the adults. And um, it's it, one of the things that kind of had me step away from, you know, running the leap and running uh, the adult courses because it was, something missing and it just seemed like the community kind of lacked something but dealing with the kids it it was there that energy was there that you know that that just that pureness was was there and that's infectious and just like watching the kids just you know have this awesome time and knowing that that you had a small hand in it because you know you helped you know build the course or you helped build the experience um as we started to get a little bit more into it, Justin was telling me that there was going to be some changes happening in 2018, and did I want to be a part of it? And I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started transitioning to kids' race, and the one thing that we wanted to do was to ensure that we made the events more challenging um, and that we made the event um, a contrast uh, as uh, in comparison to 2017 and 2016 and all the years before he wanted to just be able to make a difference in it because we were all tired of parents and kids saying, oh, that race was too easy. I, I could have ran it all day long. I did run it all day long. You know, it didn't. It was nothing to me. Um, and that's just like, what, what are you doing, you know? It's like I tell people in the endurance event, why continually sign up for stuff that you know you can pass and you know you can finish? What's, what's the purpose and point and what are you learning and, and what are you getting out of that if you're doing that? Yeah. And it's the same thing with kids. It's not just endurance. It's also with kids. What are you teaching them? What are they, what are they learning? What are they getting out of an event where they can just run, you know, and they can just you know do as many laps as they want? And they yeah, there's no version. There, there's no there's, there's, there's no lesson. There's there's nothing to take away from it. Um, and so Justin's been nice enough to allow me all this leeway to kind of like put my own stamp on the races that I'm a, a part of. And one of the things that I wanted to do. Was was having the endurance background and seeing how true exertion at the end of the day, when somebody's been so determined and they exert and they give a hundred percent will and effort, and they finally get that finish, you know, you see at the end that that however hurt they were, however however many tears they cried, um, all of the pain they went through, none of that none of that touches them. They're all above it. None of, it, none of it touches them. They're absolutely impervious to everything because of that success. That success becomes their armor. Yeah. And you can just see just just this, this light in, in their soul, 
you know, and the way that they walk and they move and they talk and everything else. And the thing is, the kids have the same thing, but you have to be able to give them that opportunity to grit their teeth and to push through whatever adversity is there. And with Seattle, not only was it a 200-yard swamp, uh, <laughs> a swamp um, uh, mud march, but it was that it was that, that sandbag carry that I had that day. And um, I didn't have a lot of elevation to work with, but what I wanted to do was use as much of the elevation that I had, which was that small hill. And so I, I disguised a 175-yard sandbag carry as just a little back and forth, back and forth, um, up and down that hill. And then I threw in the sandbag crawl, the low crawl, uh, which then becomes a different component because now you have to get dragging the sandbag or carrying it, and now they have to get it off of their shoulder, which is a comfortable position, or, you know, uh, as they carry it in front of them, they have to drop the sandbag, and now they have to either push it or drag it underneath the low crawl, which is which some of the kids didn't want to do, but they did it. And oh, yeah. I can tell you right now that there were a lot of tears, and I could see some of the kids crying, and I felt really bad. And they were crying, especially when the sandbag carried. But then fast forward 20 more minutes, and I see them at the finish line, and you know what? There was no crying. They were just exhausted, but they were happy. They were proud. Their parents were proud. Everybody it, it, it knew that they just endured something that... that that, that made that metal around their, 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 their neck worth it. It, it. it gave it meaning. And I think that's kind of what I've been trying to do, is trying to give that exertion and trying to give that effort some type of meaning. And the way that I, the best I can do that is to give them the opportunity on the course, at least one point on that course, give them the opportunity to be able to push through that limitation and find that growth. Yeah. And I know it sounds like me talking about endurance again, <laughs> but it's it's a, yeah, but it's exactly the same thing. It's just giving them that opportunity to be able to push themselves and to grow. And yeah. you know, I can tell you right now that the limitations for most of the kids usually come from the parents, and not the kids themselves. Oh, absolutely. You know? um, yeah, and I've had parents argue with me that their kid can't carry that sandbag. And then they're continually arguing with me, and then seven minutes later, I point that is that your kid? And they're looking, I'm like, look what he's doing, he's almost done. And suddenly, suddenly that limitation is gone from the parent's face, because now it's like this, this look of surprise and pride that their kid did something that the parents themselves thought was impossible for them to do. You know, as a, as a father, um, I think you hit the nail on the head on exactly what our kids need. Or at least a lot of the kids that I run into, right? Um, I can't tell you the PTA meetings I've been in where, you know, all of a sudden, wherever my, my son is, I'm like, man, these parents do everything for their kids. Uh, and they have project these limitations on them, but their kids are going out and doing these amazing things. There's a disconnect here. And, you know, I, I got to say thank you for building up a race like that. Um, you know, yeah, there's tears, but you know, sometimes the catalyst that we need, you know, child, adult or not, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it comes with the realization that we can do things. And, you know, sometimes there's that mental snap, that snap of the fingers where, oh, I can do this. Um, or yes, I understand. And 
as a parent, I've witnessed it myself multiple times where, you know, I see my son like, ah, oh, he can't do that. And then he does something and it blows me away. And I realized that part of the reason he wasn't able to achieve that was my own doing. Um, and you just totally hit that nail on the head, but you, you built a physical race around it. And that's amazing. So <laughs> from, from one dad whose son is, is set to do several of these this year, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's absolutely my pleasure, you know. Um, and like I said, you know, with the tears on the course, it's, it's just there's tears at the end, yeah. you know, and there never has been. And actually, the tears generally stop once the sandbag is off the shoulders. And suddenly, you know, as you know, as soon as you get the weight off of your shoulder, you feel like you're just light as a feather. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how you see the kids. Uh, the responses after they're done with that that carry and and I tend to focus a little bit more on that sandbag carry because it is the one component in that race that one is mandatory for them to do because it's the older kids that have to do it um, but it's also the most challenging portion of the kids race is where we can really really set up um, a difficult task but a very um, a very doable and uh, mm-hmm. a very doable task and a task that they can find success as long as they make that push. Um, yeah. At no point in time am I going to make a kids race that is going to be impossible for a kid to finish. Um, I don't, you know, I mean, anybody that's done any endurance mess with me knows that I don't make impossible tasks. There's always has to be a reason and an objective. Um, but yeah, I, I try and give enough respect to the kids like I've given respect to endurance of give the respect of not underestimating that. Yes. Um, and that's the best I can do. Thank you. So uh, I know we've gone a little over here. Um, and, and thank you again for your time, Kjol. Uh, this has been fantastic. Um, so one one thing that I'd like this is I think important and and pretty Mike who normally runs these um, does a good job of really including this and I think in almost every podcast but you know now that we've talked a little bit and people have gotten to know you and you know kind of hear what what motivates you um, if you could leave the listeners out there one thing one piece of advice you know what what would that be? Hmm. Um, I, I said it before uh, earlier, and I and I'll reiterate it. Um, actually, do you know what? Um, if it's okay, I'm going to say two things. Go ahead, okay. please. <laughs> All right. Um, so the first thing is acceptance, um, and you have to understand that acceptance is not uh, uh, you're not acquiescing. You're not, um, um, you're not saying it's okay. Uh, you're not agreeing to it. You're just accept, accepting that what your reality is your reality, and it just allows you to make the shift and the changes, and allows your brain the freedom to help you uh, overcome the challenge. That's what acceptance allows you to do. Um, the more you begin to think about that, and the more you begin to apply that, uh, the more you'll begin to understand um, why acceptance is so very important. Absolutely. Um, and the second thing is, yeah, and the second thing is I'm going to say, and, and I have a past that says this, and I live by it, is for anybody, whether you're working 
in corporate America, whether you work in retail, whether you work in endurance, or you know, a first responder, you're on the line in the military, police, you know, firefighters, is the as one principle. You know, um, and it goes like this: as one, I am an individual with limitations. As one, we are invincible. And that principle applies because it's based off of the hotshot crew that I was on. Knowing that as an individual, I can take a look at the task that we're facing, and it's going to be insurmountable and impossible because I am limited in my abilities and capabilities. But as one team, as one unit, as one crew, we are capable of absolutely astonishing things, and we can accomplish the impossible because there is no limit to a team that is working as one single, as one single entity, and that's where the as one principle came. So as one. And it's resonated deeply, uh, I think, with our team and, and many people that have met you. Um, and some of those teachings, I think, are absolutely phenomenal. Acceptance, and as one, we are individuals with limitations, and as one, we are invincible. I truly believe that. Um, if you ever write a book, <laughs> let me know. I'll be one of the first to buy a copy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, at some point in time, I probably should. Um, uh, apparently, that's what I've been told. But yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, call, <laughs> we'll call it killisms or something like that. It'll it'll work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's three hundred and sixty-five days of kill. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> yeah, kill. You're the man. Uh, Thank you. This has been phenomenal. What a great message. Uh, I really can't wait to, to see what people have to say about it. Um, this is definitely something that I, I'm going to go back and listen to uh, several times. So thank you for sharing. Um, any closing thoughts? Anything Anything else you'd like to leave us with before we wrap up here? Um. No, actually, uh, Adam, these OCR guys, uh, thank you for the opportunity to just you know, to, to, to talk and connect with you guys, you know. Uh, again, you guys have always been, you know, super awesome. Every time I've met anybody, you know, from your group, every time I've been up in battle, every time I've seen you guys at, at events, you know, you guys are just crushing it. And I have a m- immense respect for everything that you guys have done. Um, you know, especially you, Janelle, Ron Brothers, you know, uh, Nick Thompson, uh, all of you guys. Um, have my utmost, utmost respect and I appreciate the fact that you guys gave me this opportunity so thank you for that thank you man those words are incredible thank you so much alright cool thank you for your time uh, thank you for your words your thoughts your wisdoms uh, to those that are listening uh, please please do yourself a favor um, there will be a few links that you can find at the podcast details and on the Facebook page. Uh, go check out uh, Ronin Systems. Go check out Firefighter Fit Endurance. When the Triple Crown comes out, please go give it a check out. Um, Kuehl, uh man, he keeps amazing company with some, with, and, and he really puts integrity and quality um, into what he does. Uh, you can hear it from the words and, and just that he shared now so i highly encourage you uh make it a priority to do at least one culism 
<laughs> uh, maybe that'll stick. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and do yourself a favor. Get out there. Um, Kill's a great guy. He's got a big heart, and he wants to see you succeed. Thanks for listening to the BeastNet podcast brought to you by Beast OCR. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear. You can find us on Facebook or at BeastOCR.com.